Welcome to the Extraordinary Educators Podcast. Your hosts, Danielle Sullivan, National Director at Curriculum Associates, and Sari Labaris, Social Communications Manager at Curriculum Associates, are here to share actionable tips, best practices, and success stories to improve your classroom and drive student learning. Enjoy, and thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. This is Danielle. Hey everyone, it's Sari, and welcome back to the Extraordinary Educators Podcast. We know there's a lot happening right now, and we hope we can provide you with insights, tips, and best practices, and breathing room from the critical work you do. We are here to support teaching and learning wherever it is taking place. And thank you for joining us for this continuation of our leadership series. We are very excited to have with us today National Director at Curriculum Associates, Megan Robinson. So welcome, Megan. Thanks so much for joining. And if you can just introduce yourself to our listeners, tell them a little bit about you, who you are, and then we'll dive in. Absolutely. Hey, everyone. Megan Robinson here. Um, I am a a proud member of the National Director team. I reside on the West Coast, so I help out the team by focusing largely, especially in the state of California, you know, the small state of California. Uh, And as a member of the National Director team, you know, something that I really focus on and it's really just an extension of what I was doing as an educator. So uh, I may be formally uh, out talking about this topic now, but it's something that I've always incorporated into my teaching is equity and responsive content and instruction. So it's wonderful to be able to join folks like Danielle and Sari to continue talking about this topic and to have the opportunity to reach out to all of you and share our thoughts and ideas with you. Wonderful. So on that note, what have you been reading? What kind of work have you been doing? Uh, Tell us what is current in the world of thought leadership in how Megan Robinson sees the world. And before you answer that question, Megan was also interviewed on our previous season of Extraordinary Educators, shared a lot of great insights. So we'll um, hopefully link Megan's other podcasts within the show notes too. So you can also continue to hear from Megan. So Megan, what's new? (laughs) Well, you know, I'm probably like both of you, always reading, always, you know, interested in in finding new information. And I'm uh, a clicker. So whenever I read an article and I see there's a link, I click on it. (laughs) I go and see... And then within that next article, there's another link and there's another link. So I find myself easily going down the rabbit hole, um, but I'm always very excited as I'm going down um, said hole because it really just is invigorating to find all this new information. So recently I found myself going down um, this rabbit hole of uh, around student behavior and treatment and school policies that primarily affect our black and brown students. And um, there are a number of articles on, you know, policies around hair, policies around willful defiance. You know, there are states, there are departments of education that are really taking uh, powerful stances against willful defiance because, uh, and to define willful defiance for those of you who are wondering, what is that? Um, willful defiance is in my own, in my own language, is uh, when a student Um, say doesn't want to remove their hat or when a student doesn't want to take their hoodie off 
or when a student is walking down the down the hall in a line with the class, but uh, they're not making a perfect line with the rest of the students, right? They're just exuding some little um, little acts of power that may seem and may be interpreted as disrespectful or defiant, but really it's a student just ex exercising uh, the powers that they have over their body and the control that they have over their body. And also it can be communicating how a student is feeling um, in that time, what's happening in their life, how they feel in that space that they're in. Uh, sometimes it can be because they feel safe that they feel like they can put on their hood and put their head down. Other times it can be because the student wants to be ignored or not seen. So there are a lot of reasons why students behave that way, but um, overall it's defined as willful defiance and overwhelmingly students of color are uh, disproportionately disciplined for acts of willful defiance and removed from the learning space. So. I oftentimes find a lot of a lot of content research about this, and uh, at the top of this month, one article that really I believe that started this whole process of me finding ten other articles that were related to this topic was released on March first uh, by NPR, and it's titled "For Some Black Students, Remote Learning Has Offered a Chance to Thrive." And this article really got me thinking because. In summary, what was discussed is how for some students, for students, for many students of color, working remotely may, you may not be seeing the same academic outcomes as you want to see as an educator, or maybe you are, right? I certainly don't want to make any grand assumptions about any student's performance by uh, their race or by their culture. But what was being documented in this article is that students have less stress and pressure um, working from home, being able to learn from home. Um, interactions, social interactions, assimilation expectations, and just general societal pressures that are put on them um, through the lens of bias and race and, uh, and what can be put on them um, with their experiences with other adults. So um, it really just struck a chord with me and made me think, you know, are we are we setting up spaces? Have we set up classrooms where students want to come back, right? There are many students who want to come back to school for, for many different reasons, but there are plenty of students who may not want to come back to school because they don't feel safe, because they don't feel welcome, and because they are less stressed and less angry learning from home. And that's worth considering. That's definitely worth talking about. I think, too, when we think about willful defiance, right, there they're being defiant in, through the lens of what the school's rules and regulations are, right? And it's like, who are those rules and regulations for? Why isn't it okay for a student to wear a hoodie? And who made that rule? And who is that rule serving? And if it's not serving the student and it makes the student not comfortable or not wanna be there, then why is that rule in the first place? And, and just mm -hmm. the whole concept, you know, really just lends itself to, for me to think about like what are these rules and who are they for and if students are are who schools are designed for something is just not not right there you know it makes me think of like if we were all together in person right now like everyone imagine we're at a conference right like one day right we'll be, we'll be together in some capacity right and when you're at a conference when you're you know in some type of event don't you look around and see folks wearing hats Right, whether it's for fashion or like they're just having a bad hair day, you know, like, you know, okay, that's fine, right? Don't some folks, does everyone stay seated the whole time? No, 
Some folks get up and they stand and they walk around. Or is it okay for, for folks to step outside and check their phone, you know, take a bio break or step, you know, step outside, get some sun and breathe some fresh air. All of that is okay. Why can't we extend that to students? And when I think about my experience in the classroom, I never thought, understood, as you're saying, Sari, what, why students couldn't wear hats. If a student came into my classroom wearing a hat, did it affect their learning? No. So did I ask them to take it off? No. Did it impact anyone else's learning? No. So what's the big deal? So really, that is the question that we need to ask. And I think that is something, if we go back to think back to that, that article um, that was released at the beginning of this month, or March 1st, <laughs> rather, um, we really need to think about, you know, are which students are being um, targeted with these practices? What are they really achieving? And can, can't we just let it go? I wonder too about like the, the connection, if you think about like what are the normal consequences in school, it's like detention or being removed from the community. And if you think about like the school to prison pipeline, it's just, it just seems to be, you know, encouraging that cycle even more, which is, which is really scary to think about. And so having articles like this where you, you hear from a real student, a real family will hopefully make folks reconsider um, their policies and practices when, when we go back. And even classroom management in general, when you think about, even when we talk to educators about discourse in math or text-based discussions or students having conversations with each other, there's like a, there's a fear there of control. And students sitting quietly at desks doing remedial work, who does that even serve? How is that appropriate for students? If you look at any research in child development, no matter where the child uh, personal identity experience comes from, just five-year-olds shouldn't be sitting in rows doing remedial tasks. So I just think it's very fascinating to understand how virtual teaching has allowed a lot of students to thrive who don't thrive in somewhat of a strict, arcane environment that unfortunately still plagues a lot of the classrooms across the country of, you know, and, this and, is what the norm is. I'm, yeah, I'm air yes. quoting. You can't see it. Air quote norm. <laughs> well, well you, you said the word, uh, did, did you said, um, compliance or you said something, you said something to that nature, Daniel, or made me think of that. And, um, I recently came across a phenomenal expert in this realm. Uh, her name is Lane Whitaker. Well, I'll make sure to get the information to all of you. We can link her there in the, um, in the description. But Lane talks about how the traditional discipline, the traditional behavioral expectations focus largely on compliance, um, how they limit student movement, they can be punitive, embarrassing, shaming, and are punishment-based. And when I think about, you know, not only of not only is it does it feel that way for the student who's receiving the discipline, the students who are sitting around them and watching this happen, it is also it has an effect on them as well. Um, even though I may not have gotten in much trouble as a student, I saw other Black and Brown students being overly, dare I say, harassed by staff in the school. And that had an effect on me. I knew that if I stepped out of line, I had an example of what was going to happen to me. And so, you know, something that, that 
is talked about again by by this expert Lane Whitaker Whitaker is to switch to social cooperation rather than social compliance right let's work together let's talk this through let what's comfortable for you does that you know absolutely offend my ethics or morals and but you wearing a hat like what's the okay then that makes you comfortable then you wear the hat you know right like let's switch to honoring and creating more trust and fairness in schools for all students and from the student perspective. Uh, and it, it does touch on, I know last time we were together, I, I mentioned uh, some of my family's experiences and this brings up uh, you know, some of what my family experienced, the household I grew up in, uh, in relative to school. And in seeing a sibling who was his movement was limited, who was uh, required to comply. And if he didn't comply, he was removed from the, from the learning setting. And what a different experience he had when he was in a school filled, not just got lucky to come across a teacher, but a school that was filled with thoughtful teachers who were well-schooled and culturally relevant and responsive teaching, who didn't challenge students in ways that were disrespectful of the student's culture or background, and that valued, uh, that valued mediation between students and teachers, where if a student felt like a teacher was picking on them, they would rightfully have a mediation session led by a student, another student, and another staff member to lead them to a resolution and vice versa. If a teacher felt like a student was just really, you know, um, coming in with a chip on their shoulder or they were just butting heads, then they could have a mediation and sit down and have a conversation. There was a balance of authority. There was a balance of power that resulted in great outcomes for my sibling. And I don't think we can remove the two. If we go again, back to that article, it was released on March 1st. If students feel safe and comfortable and welcome in school, they're going to show up. My sibling didn't wanna to go to the former school, the latter school, he didn't miss a day. He loved going and loved being in school. We gotta think And I will add, absolutely, yes and, not just having people, having um, students building trust and um, wanting to be there, but we also need to validate students' experiences. We need to honor where they're coming from. And I've done a lot of research. And if you've listened to the podcast, I talk a lot about social emotional learning. And, and you can't just, you have to really put on different lenses, even when we're talking about um, teaching students how to be, how to uh, regulate their emotions. If you're teaching how to regulate emotions in a white supremacy context, that is teaching students the wrong way to regulate emotions because you need to validate with race and gender and other different lenses because what does it mean and what does society tell women on how we're supposed to regulate our emotions and what does society tell people of color how to regulate their emotions because it makes other people uncomfortable. So you're not trying to regulate your emotions because you're trying to make other people comfortable. Regulating emotions can be a very powerful tool to appropriately express yourself in the world. So it's just even understanding how to teach children how to do this. But if you don't understand the different implications, then you're just doing a disservice. So we really, it's a lot of awareness. It's a lot of criticality and understanding your place in the world and how we can respectfully 
coexist in a really great way. So, I mean, I think a lot of times in education, words like trust, empathy, compassion, they don't go deep enough, or we don't really understand what those mean and how we can teach those through the culturally responsive lens. Mm-hmm. You know, just a, just a smile at the door isn't enough. Just a high five on the, at the end of the day isn't enough, right? We really need to examine all of our expectations for student behavior in the classroom, student speak, for student expression, for student attire. We really need to step back and ask ourselves, what are our expectations? Why are these our expectations? Are they unfairly uh, are they unfairly affecting particular groups of students? And what would happen if we let them go? That's a perfect segue. Th- oh, sorry. Go ahead, Megan. <laughs> you no, know, and I, 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 you know, I think these are the conversations that we we really need to be happening. Happen, you know, need to be having. You know, folks talk about relationships. Relationships. Relationships matter. Yes, they do. And this is a major part of it. I was just going to say, if I'm if I'm a school leader or a district leader listening to this or a teacher leader or whoever, and I'm fired up, I want to do the work, I want to reconsider and ask myself and my school community these questions that you just said, like, what is the next best step for me? Because it's it's mm-hmm. spring, it's almost the end of the year, and I don't want to wait until back to school to restart. So how would you recommend just proceeding from now until the end as as more educators are welcoming back students into their physical space? So one thing I would, I would urge educators to do is to start to become more informed about their students' cultures with the intent to just understand. You don't have to validate it. You don't have to fully understand it, but start to, to learn, expose yourself to other cultures, other expectations, other norms, and then begin to try to adopt some of those into your, well, then observe those in your classrooms and see how they're connecting with students in your classrooms. Simultaneously, I would begin begin conversations with colleagues and even with leadership, looking at data around discipline. Because many folks will say, I actually worked with the district um, just recently, last week, and in comparison to districts around them, it, there wasn't as much of a discipline disparity, but there certainly was a discipline disparity in negatively impacting their Black and Hispanic students, right? So one could say, oh, we're not as bad as the other folks around us, but to those 10 2,500 students in your school who are being adversely affected by this really makes a big impact on their life and their outcome. So start to expose yourselves. You need to learn more. You've got and you have to know more. You really do. It's just a responsibility of teaching. You have to know more about the students who you're teaching. Uh, Bettina L. Love says uh, something along the lines of uh, you can't love, you can't love all of your students if you don't know all of your students. And part of knowing all of your students is fully understanding and recognizing their culture and their cultural norms. And then we gotta look at the data 
and have hard conversations and honest conversations about the data. And I don't, it doesn't matter if it's one student, it is one too many. Yes. Thank you, Megan. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have uh, for today. But Megan shared a lot of great resources. We'll make sure that we link in the show notes, including, like I shared earlier, um, our other conversations with Megan. We had a two-part series with her before, which is really wonderful. Uh, so before we wrap, Megan, what are some what are your, you just, you've dropped a lot of tweetables too, by the way, everybody <laughs> tweetable, tweetable. There's many tweetables within this podcast from the great Megan Robinson, uh, parting thoughts for educators as they listen to this, thinking about, uh, wanting to do the work and, um, leaders, just what are your final thoughts? Oftentimes I know it's easy to think we need to start with the instruction and the pedagogy. We really have to start building better relationships with our students. So for those of you who are committed to this work, you will get there. Uh, even if you, you, sometimes it might feel like you're the only person in your building or in your district or in your community. So reach out, reach out to folks like me, find other educators who are like-minded so that you can band together and not lose sight of what you're really trying to do here, which is change the lives and the experiences for your students of color. Thank you so much, Megan. It's really hard to just end the conversation because of course we can keep going and this work is, is too important to stop talking about, but um, we hope that you can connect with us other places and keep the conversation going with your building, with your colleagues, with your family, with your students and their families. Um, so we can really make a change here. As always, you can follow along on Twitter at CurriculumSoch and on Instagram at MyIReady. Please be sure to tag us in your post too so we can see the work that you do every single day. If you have feedback about the podcast, a topic of interest, or want to be a guest, you can email extraordinaryeducators at caing.com. This is about you. We are here for you. So until we meet again, be you, be true, be extraordinary. This podcast is produced by Curriculum Associates and is the copyrighted material and intellectual property of Curriculum Associates.